everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast, where we have smart conversations about pregnancy, parenting, politics, healthcare, and feminism. And then we talk about whatever we want. I am the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, which is available on my website, jeanfaulkner.com, and wherever books are sold. In there, you'll find my best advice based on 20 years of labor and delivery nursing about how to navigate prenatal care for the best birth possible for mom and baby. So often, our medical care during pregnancy is focused solely on what's best for baby, not always on what's best for mom. In fact, sometimes we're so heavily focused on baby, even when baby is perfectly fine, that we leave mom out of the equation altogether. We say things like, mom is older or has this condition, so baby is at high risk. We place women in these risk categories based on what might happen, even when what actually is happening is perfectly normal. These high risk levels lead to increased use of interventions, tests, inductions, ultrasounds, more tests, non-stress tests, biophysical profiles, then some. And in some cases, you know, it's all kind of a domino effect to unnecessary C-sections, which we are all working so hard to avoid. Now, in most cases, The baby is fine all along, and when the baby is born, still fine. But mom's been put through the ringer. And so often I've heard women say, yeah, it was a really, really tough birth, but all that matters is that we've got a healthy baby, right? Wait, wait, wait. All that matters is not just the baby. A healthy mother matters a lot. You can't have a healthy baby without a healthy mother and what mom wants matters. In a way, it's almost as if, you know, we're saying that whatever damages mom incurs to produce that baby doesn't matter. It's the baby, not the mother who is important. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that we don't want healthy babies. Of course we do. What I'm saying is in that almost all circumstances, what's actually best for baby is what's best for mom. When you provide really excellent health care for mom, that includes education, nutrition support, plenty of options, and a focus on her well-being, then babies usually turn out great. We just have to shift our focus. Now, I get a lot, and I mean a lot, of emails about inductions, about whether they're really essential or whether women can just say no. Sometimes I get emails from women saying, do you think it's okay if I have an induction under these circumstances? Well, obviously, I don't have access to anyone's medical records, and I can't recommend specific treatment plans based on your emails. What I can do is give you a little bit of my experience. Let listeners in on how healthcare providers think and plan women's care. And then, you know, talk about times when inductions are great and times when they may, might not be. In fact, I got an email just like that last month from a woman right here in my hometown, Portland, Oregon. I'm going to go ahead and read that here. And I'm reading this with her permission. Sarah wrote, I'm 39 weeks and five days pregnant. And because of my age, 40, and gestational diabetes, insulin controlled, although my numbers have been very good, 
I have not gained very much weight and baby is measuring just fine and looks stellar on all non-stress tests. Still, my healthcare providers are pressuring me to have an induction as soon as possible. I feel very uncomfortable about this and have been doing a lot of reading and research to try to make the best decision possible. I came across your articles and they are very clear-headed and informative. And I saw that you live in Portland, as do I. Just wanted to say thanks for your contributions to this field and for being an advocate for women and healthy pregnancies. You're welcome, Sarah. That's a really nice thing to say. Thank you for saying that. Most of the time, my guests are healthcare providers, policymakers, or parents. But today, I wanted to get Sarah on the line to talk about her healthcare journey. Like I said, this email came in just last month, and since then, Sarah has become the mother of a brand new baby girl. Let's get Sarah on the line and find out what happened. Hello. Hi, Sarah. It's Jeannie. Hi, how are you? I am really well. How are you? I'm great. Well, good. Well, Sarah, I read your first email, um, but not our subsequent ones, uh, just before I got you on the line here. So I'm going to ask you to help introduce, and I'm going to just start right off with who are you and what do you do? Sure. So my name is Sarah. I'm 40 years old. I live in Portland, Oregon, and my husband and I own um, two restaurants here in Portland. Do you want to say their names? Sure, sure. Um, our restaurants are called Pacific Pie, and we specialize in handmade sweet and savory pies. Yeah, and they're delicious. Mm-hmm. I stopped by your spa- your place not so long ago and got something delicious and marionberry. I Ooh, loved it. Great. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about your letter. Mm-hmm. Um, I read it just before we got you on the line, and... This is your first baby, right? It is. Yeah, I waited as long as possible. Well, I waited a long time to get pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, doesn't it seem like, though, more and more women are taking their time about it and really establishing themselves in their 30s? It does. I have more and more friends who are um, having babies later in life. And I think there's definitely a lot of advantages to it, actually. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, my mom was over 40 when she had me, oh, wow. and I was her youngest of a long, long line. So I'm not sure how beneficial it was to her, um, but then I had my youngest when I was 39, mm-hmm. and definitely the perspective, the maturity, you're established in your life, and I can hear that little one yes. right back there. She's there. <laughs> so you had a girl. I did have a girl, Sylvia. Sylvia, what a lovely classical name. It is. Yeah, it's elegant. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we were talking about your your age. Mm -hmm. Um, How did that impact your prenatal care? Well, I think even just going back when I was um, first trying to get pregnant, um, my husband and I decided to try to get pregnant probably when I was about 37, I guess, and at first, I just went to my gynecologist who, you know, I only saw maybe once a year for a pap smear or whatever, and um, told her I was thinking about getting pregnant and asked if there was anything, you know, I could do. And she basically right away put a lot of fear into me that I would never get pregnant at my age or that it would be very, very difficult. Um, and that right away I should be thinking about, you know, fertility interventions. 
Um, but then I sought out um, some naturopathic care, and that gave me a much different kind of perspective on it and a lot of hope and positivity. Um, so that was a much more supportive um, mode of care for me, at least, when I was trying to get pregnant. Um, and then when I finally did get pregnant, um, you know, right away at my age, I was put in this advanced maternal age category. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, you know, there's a lot of assumption of risk, I guess, when the mother is older. Um, right. I know. Which, you know, I understand. Yeah, I talked about that. Go ahead. I talked about that just a, just a, a few minutes ago about how we put women and, um, you know, prenatal patients in these categories, mm-hmm. in these risk brackets. Mm-hmm. And um, then we, you know, kind of take a look at their health care and design their health care plans within those brackets. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's not. Right. And that's and I do understand why in the healthcare system we have to have kind of standards based on different categories, but it felt very um, kind of impersonal to me and not taking into account my own, you know, physical and mental health, because I actually feel healthier now at 40 than I did at 30 in a lot of ways. Um, I look after myself a lot better. I eat better. um, I exercise more. So, you know, I felt very healthy and strong and very prepared for this pregnancy. Um, And so it was a little, uh, I was put off by the fact that then there was always this assumption of risk, you know, with with everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I experienced that too with my last Mm -hmm. one. And I knew that I was fine. And yeah, it's a really different um, perspective Mm -hmm. about, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you see your naturopath during prenatal care as well? Um, so my naturopath ended up referring, originally when I got pregnant, my husband and I um, were planning to have a home birth. And so I was referred to a um, home birth midwife here in Portland who actually also ends up being a naturopathic physician. Um, so I was, I was working with her and planning to have a home birth. But then, um, unfortunately, I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes um, kind of midway through my pregnancy. And so at that point... Um, and because I tried very hard to control my gestational diabetes with diet alone, diet and exercise, but I ended up having to be put on insulin. Um, so at that point, the home birth midwife couldn't manage my care any longer. And um, I right. ended up having to go into kind of the traditional healthcare system. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, that makes sense. That makes sense in some, you yes. know, in some ways, because... I, I have seen it happen that some gestational diabetic moms do deliver these really, really big kids. And, right. um, you know, you don't want a baby to get stuck and you're yeah. at home. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and we, we were definitely disappointed that, um, you know, that wasn't going to pan out the way we had envisioned it. But mm-hmm. I was also really grateful to them just be able to, you know, start seeing um I actually still saw midwives, but at the hospital where I was going to deliver. Mm-hmm. And I was, um, in general, I got really excellent prenatal care, although they kept, almost at every visit, they kept reminding me that, and they used this language that I had two strikes against me, they would say, um, being my age and the gestational diabetes. Yeah, um, strange vernacular, huh? It is, yeah. It just it made me feel really kind of bad about myself in a way, but, um, you know, so... Yeah, I think sometimes we have to think about our language <laughs> with pregnant ladies. I 
do too. And it, and you know, we can just kind of flip the perspective. Look how well your body was doing despite a few challenges, you know? Yeah, totally. And mm-hmm. it's probably because you had such a healthy baseline. Mm-hmm. You know, you're at an age where you know how to take care of that body of yours and you, you know, followed its, its cues, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Could have been exactly. worse, right? Except no, exactly, for the fact yeah. that you're a healthy woman. Right. That's yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you had to learn how to do blood testing and mm-hmm. management and all mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had to test my blood sugar about four times a day. And um, then I was injecting insulin three times a day, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, was definitely a little bit of a a challenge just in terms of time management. And I really had to think about what I was eating. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't give in, you know, all I wanted the whole time I was pregnant was an ice cream sundae, which was funny because in real life, I don't even eat ice cream that much, but I just daydreamed all the time about ice cream sundaes, but I couldn't do that with gestational diabetes. <laughs> um, so I had to eat very, very healthy and I really worked hard to, you know, maintain good blood sugar. Good for you. I dream about ice cream sundaes all the time, too. <laughs> I have no for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you developed the gestational diabetes about halfway through, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, about um, 24 weeks or so. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And your little one there did well the whole way? She did, yeah. And, you know, that having a larger baby is one of the things they're concerned about mm-hmm. with gestational diabetes. But um, she ended up actually only weighing 6 pounds, 7 ounces. So um, she was actually on the small size after all that. But, um, yeah, and then she did um, have uh, – uh, Sylvia actually had low blood sugar when she was born. Um, so the hospital had to kind of help manage that for the first few days of her life. But she's totally fine now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That can happen, sort of a yes. rebound. Yes. She has, you know, higher level of sugar in mom's mm. bloodstream. And then, mm. you know, once baby's out there and churning up her own metabolism. Yeah, that mm. happens. Mm-hmm. That happens. Mm-hmm. Pretty, yeah, yes. really often. Yeah. So I write in my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, I wrote a section that I called Curveballs about Things that happen at the end of pregnancy that mm-hmm. throw moms off balance. And, mm-hmm. you know, induction recommendations are in that section. And you mentioned in your first email to me that you felt really uncomfortable about the pressure to induce. So can you tell us about this part of the experience? Sure. Um, so given my age and the gestational diabetes, um, my care providers actually started talking about inducing me pretty early on in my pregnancy, you know, they were kind of preparing me for it and said that ideally they would like to induce me at 39 weeks, Um, you know, based on, I guess, studies that have been done that just show there's a a better um, chance of having a healthy baby at 39 weeks for women in my situation. Um, And I did a lot of reading myself and a lot of thinking about this. um, And I just was not comfortable with being induced at 39 weeks. So then they scheduled induction for me at 40 weeks on my actual due date. And Mm -hmm. I still, um, I really, really struggled with that decision a lot. Um, But I ended up in the end feeling like I would never forgive myself if I didn't go down that path and something did happen to the baby. So I did have an induction at 40 weeks on my due date. Um, And it was, 
it was a very challenging experience, actually. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was going to be anyways, but yes. inductions definitely can dial it up a notch. So I want to talk a little bit about, <clears throat> you mentioned that, you know, you'd never forgive yourself. And I know mm-hmm. that in so many induction scenarios, um, women are told, well, because you've got these two strikes, mm-hmm. therefore you have to have this medically controlled mm-hmm. delivery. And I sometimes wonder, you know, well, what were the reasons that they said you have to have your baby under these conditions? Mm-hmm. What What did they tell you? Well, I mean, first of all, with my age, you know, there is, a, I forget the authors of the study now, but I guess there's a a very well-known study that a lot of doctors reference that um, for women over a certain age, if you go past, say, 39 or 40 weeks, the um, chance of a stillborn baby increases. Um, it doesn't, yeah, that's scary information. It's very scary. I mean, once you, yeah, if you're that pregnant and they start talking about a stillborn baby, I mean, it's, you know, it's terrifying. Um, yes. And I did look at myself at that, um, a summary of that study the, the numbers mm-hmm. don't increase dramatically, but it does increase your risk a bit. Um, yeah. So that was one reason. And then with the gestational diabetes, they were saying that the longer I stayed pregnant, the more of a chance that I'd have a very large baby that would be hard to deliver vaginally. Um, mm-hmm. So it was kind of those two. And then also, I guess, with my age, you know, they talk about the placenta aging out and that the placenta mm-hmm. can, you know, start degrading and not be able to fully support the baby anymore. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So they were doing non-stress tests. Yes. And, and for listeners who aren't quite familiar with that yet, it's where you go over to the maternity ward and they put you on the fetal heart monitor and they just watch the baby's heart rate over a period of time to make sure that it looks reassuring. Mm-hmm. So they did that. Yes. Yeah, so starting at 32 weeks, I had non-stress tests twice a week. So I'd have to go in and they would Mm -hmm. do the heart monitoring. And then they also did an ultrasound each time um, to look at the baby and um, look for um, what they called practice breathing. So make sure the baby's lungs Mm -hmm. are functioning properly. And they'd also measure my amniotic Mm -hmm. fluid levels each time. Um, And so that's a bio biophysical profile is what you have. Yes. Mm -hmm. In addition to non-stress tests. Yes. Yeah, great. Exactly. And so I had those, yes, twice a week from 32 weeks on, and every single one, like, all all looked great. Um, and so that was another reason, you know, towards the end of my pregnancy when they wanted me to induce, I kind of thought, well, you know, the biophysical profile and the non-stress test are indicating that the baby is super healthy, so why why rush it? <laughs> yeah. Did you ask that, them that question? I did. And the doctor's rationale was that, well, the baby is really healthy now um, and the baby's super strong. And so the baby's like in the best position to go through labor and delivery. Like you want to do it while the baby's still healthy. Um, and they kind of said to me, you know, everything looks great now, but this could change very quickly for someone in your situation. So you could go home tonight mm-hmm. and the baby could be in a different circumstance. So, yeah. Mm. Wow. So it was a lot of, yeah. a lot of fear-based, uh, a lot of fear-based yeah. decision-making. Yeah. 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 And, you know, so then you decided, you know, you took that information, mm-hmm. you had done your mm-hmm. homework and you weighed your risks and benefits mm-hmm. and 
you decided to go for it. We did. So my husband and I just felt that if this is really, that the doctor seemed so strong in her recommendation. Um, mm-hmm. And we felt that we had to kind of trust, I guess, her expertise and, yeah. and go for the induction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know what? I think that's probably the choice that the majority of people would make mm-hmm. and probably me too. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have that worry mm-hmm. in the back of your mind of the what could happen, I mean, that's really, that's really persuasive. Yes. And, and it's, it's a heavy weight on the scale. It is. Oh, yeah. yeah. I get <laughs> that, man. I get that. Yeah. So how did it go? Oh, it was a very, very challenging experience. I ended up being in labor for about two and a half days. (laughs) Um, Inductions can be very protracted in terms of the labor process. Um, And I think one of the things that I felt a little bit angry about afterwards was this same doctor who really um, convinced me to do this. She also had kept saying to me that, you know, being induced is just like going into natural labor. It's, it mimics natural mm-hmm. labor. And I just mm-hmm. think that's untrue. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, nothing mm-hmm. chemical can actually um, really mimic everything the body goes through when it goes through natural labor. So, you know, and I do, right. I think there's very good reasons for people to be induced. Um, but I think that we need to be a little more honest about how it, it's a really hard thing to put your body through. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I think that it does mimic mm-hmm. it, but it isn't identical. Right. And I think that, you know, the, the deal is that um, for many women, a, a big part of, of the induction process is cervical right. ripening, you know, where you, you need to get some sort of cervical ripening mm-hmm. agent to soften the cervix and get it ready to do the work of, mm-hmm. you know, real mm-hmm. life labor. That can take forever. And, you know, for, for many women who go into labor spontaneously, it happens in their body right. on its own. You know, they it's gradual. It happens over time. Or it could happen super quickly. But, you know, when we do this in an in induction, you know, we're making it happen and we're going to make it happen in a certain timetable. So it's I think it's more intense for most people. Yeah. And then, you know, if you had uh, IV... Pitocin, yeah, that's strong stuff. I did. I did have Pitocin. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they did have to keep dialing it up um, over time to, sure. you know, make me contract more often to the point that I was contracting very, very fast and hard for a long, long time. And, yeah. um, unfortunately, I still wasn't um, dilating very much, even though I was having, you know, crazy contractions for a long, long, long time. So, yeah. Yeah, so the induction process, it, it took, uh, it, yeah, it took a long time, two and a half days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. That's long. It's, and, you know, first, first labors are often really long, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really long. So I wonder, you know, it, it, it's like you can't really compare apples and oranges. First labors are always the harder, longer one. For you, it was probably harder and longer still because it was an induction. Right. But guaranteed it was going to be a doozy anyways yes <laughs> if you decided to have another child it would almost i mean these are generalizations and they don't work for everybody but the first one is always long and hard the second one is always easier the third one 
is kind of a crapshoot. It can go either way. <laughs> and the fourth one, if you ever did anything crazy like that, it's pretty predictable. <laughs> you know? but that first one is, you know, your body has to figure out how to do this. Mm -hmm. And with an induction, it has a really steep learning curve. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And controlled circumstances that aren't, you know, conducive to mm -hmm. natural labor. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 But so it, how do you feel about your birth? Um, <laughs> I... I feel proud of myself that I got through it um, and still had one of the primary goals was that I really wanted to have a vaginal delivery, which I did. Um, and I, I feel mostly good about it. I had amazing people there with me, um, my husband, and we also had a doula, which um, I highly would recommend to anyone, um, mm -hmm. especially for a first labor, I think. And then uh, my sister was there and, so I felt really supported and loved. Um, mm -hmm. And Good. yeah, the, the hospital staff for the most part were really amazing as well. I think we're really, really lucky here in Portland um, with the hospital culture that we have. I think so too. For the most part, they're doing the right thing mm -hmm. and they're helping deliver babies the right way. And they're you know at the cutting edge of changes that are being made to make things even um, friendlier. Yes, yes. Yeah, than ever. I think there's a long way to go still. But, you know, there are also women out there who really, really need some intense medical care oh, around yes. the time of their pregnancy and birth. And thank God we've got access. Yes, you know? exactly. I agree. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. How was your nursing care? How were your L&D nurses? Oh, they were amazing. I mean, yes. Labor and delivery nurses are just like amazing people I think it's a real calling and they just it took is. such good care of me and and you could tell they really just had a, such a passion for what they do and for mothers yeah. and babies and making yeah. sure everyone's safe and healthy so they were yeah. fantastic it's a real honor mm. you know I, I did labor and delivery nursing for 20 years mm. many 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 of them here in Portland and um, it's a real honor to be allowed to have that mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. insertion into somebody's life. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're really there on the biggest day of their totally, life, yeah. no matter whether it's their first baby or their 10th, mm -hmm. it's the biggest day of their life. Mm -hmm. And to be allowed into that intimacy is a real honor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I miss, I don't do bedside nursing anymore. I miss that part of it. That part I really missed a lot. I'm sure it's very joyful and very challenging at times too. Uh -huh. but yeah, it is. Yeah. Some births are harder than others. Some are longer than others. Some are in crisis. Some mm. are in, you know, it, there's the whole as many types of birth as there are women in yes, the world. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So are you getting any sleep? <laughs> um, I actually am. Um, you know, I think this is, there's, as we said earlier, there's definitely some advantages to having a baby a little bit later in life. And I think one of them is just, um, you know, I've had so many life experiences already and I've dealt with a lot of challenges in my life. And so losing a little sleep doesn't rattle me very much. <laughs> um, you know, I know that this period of her being a newborn is very short and very precious. And so I'm trying, even, you know, when I wake up at two in the morning to feed her, I'm trying to just 
really um, relish that time with her and not worry too much that I'm not getting sleep at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cozy. It is. It's a cozy it time. Is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of my best memories in life are, you know, in the middle of the night, it's a winter mm. night, there's snow on the ground, there's a baby in your mm. bed, you're nursing. It doesn't get much better than yeah, that. Yeah, it's really precious. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Is she a good little nurse? She is. Yeah, breastfeeding is actually going really well, which is something that um, I was a little bit nervous about because a lot of women that I know who've had babies have really struggled with breastfeeding. I know it can be very challenging for some people. Um, yeah. And I, that was one thing in the hospital. I got great um, lactation support. Um, and mm -hmm. so right from the very beginning, they really helped me, you know, figure it out. And, um, yeah, Sylvia is a great nurser. So I'm, I'm really grateful that it's working out for us. Oh, me too. That's a good story. I'm mm. glad. Yeah. So is there anything about your experience that you really want to share with listeners? Anything that, you know, do you have advice for the next woman out mm -hmm. there? Oh, goodness. Well, I mean, first of all, I would say that, you know, being 40 or 42 or however old you are, like, it's, you're not too old to have a baby. <laughs> um, there were definitely people that kind of tried to dissuade me a little bit from getting pregnant at my age. And um, mm -hmm. I am so glad I didn't listen to them because I'm just mm -hmm. so overjoyed that I now have my little baby. Um, yeah. and let's see, I mean, as far as, I think as far as the induction stuff goes, um, you know, you have to listen to your own instincts, but then obviously balance mm -hmm. that with the medical, um, opinion that you're getting. And so, you know, I didn't induce at 39 weeks when they wanted me to, but then I did at 40 weeks. And so I felt like, you know, I, I listened to myself, but also honored that, they have the expertise. So, yeah. That is a nice balance of moderation. Mm. I think you, you really did. You handled a, a challenge really nicely. <laughs> I admire that. Yeah. So I just have a couple more questions mm -hmm. for you. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Oh, um, Wow. I guess I wasn't expecting this to be so fun right off the bat. Um, I think mm -hmm. people would, you know, often talk about the newborn phase as, you know, being so challenging. You're not going to get any sleep and you don't know what you're doing. But I mean, it is all of that. But it's also just I find, I'm finding it really fun. Just staring at my baby is some of the most fun I've had in years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I mean. You know, people will, I just think naturally, we'll talk about, you know, the more grueling mm -hmm. episode or parts of the postpartum mm -hmm. weeks. And, and it can be, you know, your breasts are sore and you're leaking <laughs> all over the place and hard to get a shower and nobody, you know, I, I mean, it's not a glamorous time of life. But for me, it also is that time of life where really all you want to do is watch mm. them sleep and watch their faces go through their reel of facial <laughs> mm -hmm. expressions. And, you know, all of that is so it, magical. It really is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it goes hand in hand with the other stuff, but mm. it's all temporary. Mm -hmm. All of it. Yeah. And then you're on to the exactly. next thing. 
Yeah. And I think that all of us, all of us, everybody to a person, it kind of experiences this time as both super exciting right now and already grieving that it's going so Uh fastly, very quickly, and then looking forward to the next thing they do all Mm -hmm. in a big bundle. Yes, that's very true. They change, I mean, day by day. I feel like she is changing as I look at her almost. And so I'm really just trying to soak it in. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she is. She is changing Mm -hmm. as you're looking at her. It's amazing how fast it happens in Mm -hmm. that first year. You know, in a mere, how old is she? Like three weeks? Oh my gosh. That's so brand new. So brand new. Did she see the eclipse? We were out on our deck watching the eclipse. She didn't look at the eclipse, but yes, (laughs) she got to experience her first eclipse. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, this last question might seem like a real obvious one, but we ask it anyways. Where are you in your life as a mom? Huh. I think I'm just, I'm learning and experiencing the wonder of it all. <laughs> right here yes, at the beginning yes. of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You have very good times yes, ahead I'm of excited. you. I'm excited. I'm really excited. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sarah, it has been really fun to talk through your very, very recent birth journey with you. Yeah, thank you. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, and thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for talking to me today. Okay, bye-bye. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, Mama said, Mama said, Our guest today was Sarah Curtis Foley. And she's the co-owner of Pacific Pie here in Portland, Oregon. And I can say without a shadow of a doubt that her pie is fine. Go check them out, Pacific Pie. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. That's J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. Tweet me at jeanfaulkner. Email me, jean at Faulkner. Pick up a copy of my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, and leave me a nice rating, if you will. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. We'll talk again next week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.